come join us on our march to that happy place where we shall extol the Lord, looking on his face, sharing all the joys up there in its sunny clime. Praise Jesus evermore, what a happy time. Let's all stand. Let's have our men that will come and let's just gather around the altar and take this service to the Lord. We're glad you're here. This is the Lord's day. And we're looking forward to what God has for us in this service. All of our visitors, we're glad that you're here. We'll recognize you in just a little while. But let's look to the Lord now. Father, in Jesus' name, what a blessing it is to be in the house of the Lord today. And what a blessing it is to come knowing that you have something for us and that you have a word today for us. And so we thank you even in advance for what you're going to say to us today. And I pray that the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit would be upon everything that is done. Let us worship. Let us worship you in spirit and in truth. Accept our worship today. Accept it as an expression of our love for you and our adoration for you and our gratefulness for all that you have done but we do lift this service up to you now that you will just glorify the name of Jesus Christ in everything that is done for it's in Jesus name we pray amen bless the Lord oh my soul.
turn around and shake hands and fellowship. Welcome our visitors. Let them know how glad we are to have them.
us how excellent, how excellent is your name.
Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Let me say it's a joy to have those that are visiting with us today, and I'd like for you, if you would please, just to take a moment and fill out a visitor's card, and we'd like to know who you are, and we'd like to send you some information this week about the church, and there's a couple ways you can do that. If you were given a bulletin as you came in this morning, there's a card inside the bulletin you can use, or if not, there's some visitor's cards in the back of the pews. If you'll take one of these and fill it in, drop an offering plate in just a moment. Uh, we'd appreciate it so much. And again, we'd like to get to know you, and also we want you to get to know us a little bit better, and we'll send you some information this week. Let's let the rushers come forward to receive our offering, and just two or three things I want to make mention of real quickly. I want to personally say thank you to everybody. I put a little note in the bulletin today for you, but I want to uh, personally express my appreciation for everything you did for me last Sunday, uh, my 14th anniversary here, and and I don't think I've ever been treated any better or had any more done for me uh, in my life than you did last Sunday. And I want you to know I appreciate that so much. And uh, we love you. I don't love you for what you do. I love you for who you are. But it makes me love you even more for the many, many things that you do. But I want you to know personally that I appreciate each one of you that made our anniversary a very, very special time. Also, just a couple of quick notes. Thank you. I appreciate it. Just a couple of quick notes. We will not have a leaders meeting this afternoon. We'll change that. I have a funeral this afternoon, so I'll not be back in time for that. So have, we'll change the leaders meeting. Also, the Awana directors will be meeting at 530 in the Couples for Christ class. Again, all the Awana directors meet at 530. And then each year at this time, we uh, award some of our young people the uh, Hamilton Scholarship and there was an amount of money that was given to us uh, several years ago. And, of course, others have been adding to it through the years. And all of any of our students, not all of them, but any of them uh, that are attending a Christian university, they can apply for it. And the money is usually divided up and given to each applicant. And, but they're going to a Christian school or a Christian university or a Christian, not school, but going into college and so forth. And uh, we award a scholarship each year. We had two applicants this year. And when I call your name, just stand, and you'll be getting a check this week to help you on your tuition as you head to college. But uh, we had two applicants this year, and they're being awarded the Hamilton Scholarship. J.C. Groves, it's good to have J.C. back. Let's congratulate him. <clears throat> and then Terry Trevor. Terry, you stand. Let's congratulate him. Appreciate him. Great. <clears throat> it's a joy to have Roy Sills with us this morning for Baptist International Missions, and I want Roy to come, and he has a presentation that he wants to make to the church today, and his wife is with us today. This is Kim Love's sister, Didi, good to have her, and there's a mission couple with him, and Lord, Roy, I'll let you introduce them, but we're glad to have you today. All right, thank you, Pastor Trivet. It's a joy to be here with you today at Temple Baptist Church. Rob and Suzanne Brown are missionaries with, Mex uh, with BIMI to the country of Venezuela. Would you stand? And uh, their own deputation going down to Venezuela. <laughs> Rob is a pilot, and he will be in addition to our tribal ministry in the country of Venezuela. We're working with the Makaritari Indians, and uh, he'll be a great addition to our team down there. Uh, several of your people here have been on mission trips with me. Uh, JC has been with me on a trip. Is it JC? JC and Tim Keith went with me to Peru last year. I want to get the pastor on the jungle trip, all right? And, and, and I'd like to get him, and we would try to work out a round-trip ticket if we could, 
but we would at least get him into the heart of the jungle, and we'll do that one day with Brother Rob Brown, maybe. Temple Baptist Church has been one of the churches that has been heavily involved in supporting the missionaries with Baptist International Missions Incorporated. And in fact, you not only support several of the BIMI missionaries, but you are home to several of our missionaries, beginning with Dr. Um, Rosser, who uh, is a member of this church, and of course, Brother Andy and Diane are, mem are members of the church, and other folks that are here too, make this your church home. BIMI was established in 1960, 40 years ago here in Chattanooga, when over 160 pastors got together to form a new mission agency. We started on that occasion with eight missionaries. One of those eight missionaries is still with us, that's Martha Kuhnberger. Uh, Martha Kuhnberger was serving over in the Congo, and uh, there was a war. The mission agency she was serving with had to close. She joined BIMI in 1960, the day it started. She went to Nicaragua. They had a war there. She had to leave. She went to Guatemala. They had a war there. So we brought her back to the home office and haven't sent her anywhere else, you know. <laughs> it's just not good for the other countries when Martha goes somewhere. But in the 40 years, God has given us growth, and we've gone from eight missionaries to today having right around 1,000 missionaries that are serving in 87 countries around the world. We've not only seen growth in that area, but from the 163 pastors who voted to form BIMI, today we have 8,000-plus churches that consistently support BIMI missionaries on a regular monthly basis. There's a whole other set of donors that give, maybe not every month, but 8,000-plus donors do give on a monthly basis to BIMI. And this, our 40th year, we want to recognize the top 200 givers in 1999. And Temple Baptist Church figures very high in that number of the top 200 givers. And we are calling you, these, two, these 200 churches, impact givers. And so this plaque is presented to Pastor Trivet and Temple Baptist Church today. And the verse that we have on that, uh, on the plaque, is from Philippians 4.17, the verse that Paul used as he expressed his thanks to the church of Philippi for the generous and sacrificial giving, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account, Philippians chapter 4, verse 17. And just as the Apostle Paul was thankful to the church of Philippi, we at BIMR are grateful to Temple Baptist Church and Pastor Trivet for all that you do for our missionaries. God bless you. Thank you very much. I appreciate Baptist International Missions and appreciate you we could not do what we do if it wasn't for your giving. So I want you to know how much we appreciate you, but we appreciate Baptist International Missions recognizing these churches. We're giving over $9,000 a month to missions here, and we're not stopping there. We're just going to keep going and going and going and going as long as there's one lost soul around the world. Uh, we can't stop giving. Amen? Let's give today, and your part of your giving today will go to missions. So uh, you pray about your giving. Let me just make mention, add to your hospital list, James Manus is at Memorial Hospital. James may get to go home today. Uh, Mrs. Hubbard is back at Tri-County Hospital. I uh, want to remember Ms. Hubbard. Also, Juanita Warnick is back in the hospital in Huntsville, Alabama. So I want to remember Juanita and also remember Ray and Francis Thompson. As many of you know, their son Alan passed away the funerals this afternoon at 4 o'clock at the Chattanooga East Chapel. So let's remember these. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for the blessing of being able to serve you and the blessing of being able to serve you through our giving. And Father, you have commissioned all of us to go into all the world 
And we realize today that physically that would be impossible for most of us, but yet through our giving we are enabled and allowed to help others to be there. So we ask you to bless our offerings today to meet the needs of all that is going on here, and most of all to glorify you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
about that land beyond the blue, about the place that Jesus promised that he's fixed for me and you. And I've heard a lot of people talk about that land to be. So I've made a little list of things that I really Oh, I want to see the light. 
on. Amen. Revelation chapter 2. Wasn't the music a blessing this morning? Not just the music, but the truth that is shared in the music. The melody is just an additive to it. It's the truth that you hear in the songs that blesses you. And boy, I'm looking forward to that day and when we get there and they call my name. I've often tried to visualize what it is. Uh, Kyla Rowland, I believe, wrote that song. And uh, I guess she pretty well summed it up. I believe they're going to just call her names and whatever there. And when they get to my name, I'm going to take off 100 mile an hour. Say amen. And some of you are. Some of you sat in church like knots on the log. You're going to, yeah, it'd be different. Say amen right there. The book of Revelation chapter 2. And uh, as you know, the month of August is our emphasis on the family. And we are thinking about home improvement. Last Sunday morning, we thought about improving love in our marriage. This morning, I want us to think about improving romance in our marriage. And so I want you to stand, and I'm going to look at a couple of verses, and I know you're going to question what these have to have to do about marriage, but I will explain it all in just a few moments. Revelation chapter 2, of course, is a word uh, that is historical as well as prophetical as a word given to churches. But in verse 4 and 5, there are words that are given to a church by the name of Ephesus. And you're familiar with these words, but I want you to look at them. 
And then I'll draw from them this morning. Verse 4, Revelation 2, the Scripture said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of the place. Look at the first part of verse 5. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Thank you. You may be seated. Let's pray. And this morning I want us to think about improving romance in your marriage. Let's pray. Our Father, as we gather here this morning, our hearts have been blessed, our hearts have been warmed as we have been reminded of many, many things that have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Some of them are realities in our life at this very moment. Some are blessed realities that we await and we look forward to sharing in the future. Lord, I am also grateful today that failure need not be final and failure need not be fatal. Lord, there are many in this room today that are testimonies that God is a forgiving God and that, Lord, you can use our lives in spite of our failures, that you are a God that welcomes us back and will forgive and cleanse and restore. We thank you so much for that today. And I appreciate, Lord, the goodness of God and your mercy in our lives day by day by day. Father, as we have gathered here this morning, our desire is that you might strengthen our families, that you might build our marriages, and Lord, that you might help us to have the kind of marriage that you intended us to have. So, Father, bless these next few moments now. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of God would say to us. Help us to learn from your Word today and glean from your Word principles that will build our relationships as husbands and wives and we'll give you praise and we'll give you honor and glory. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ we ask these things. Amen. <clears throat> for some of you, I realized this morning that when I talk about marriage, for some of you, uh, your feelings about marriage may be somewhat like the little boy that was taking a history exam. And there were several questions on the exam. And one of the questions was, who was Patrick Henry? And this was his answer. Patrick Henry was a man who got married and then said, give me liberty or give me death. <laughs> Some may feel like, feel about their spouse like the woman that went to the doctor that was complaining of insomnia. And the doctor gave her a thorough examination and found absolutely nothing physically wrong with her. And he said to her, he says, now, ma'am, listen. If you ever expect to sleep, then you've got to stop taking your troubles to bed. And she said, I know, but my husband refused. And the psychiatrist said, what's the matter for your son? He said, he said, he's always eating mud pies. He said, I get up in the morning, and he's in the backyard eating mud pies. I come home for lunch, and he's out in the backyard eating mud pies. I come home for dinner, and he's out in the backyard eating mud pies. Well, the psychiatrist encouraged him, reassured him. He said, well, just give the kid a chance. It's all a part of growing up. It'll pass. And the father said, well, 
if you say so, but I don't like it, and his wife don't either, amen. Somebody, well, we feel different ways about it. But I want to say this morning that marriage, for many, and unfortunately, is an experience to endure and not an experience to enjoy. For many, marriages become a wedlock or become a deadlock rather than a wedlock. And for many, rather than marriage being a sweet dream, it has become a nightmare. I think of something that M.R. DeHaan said. He said, the nearest thing to heaven on earth is the Christian family and the home where husband and wives and parents and children live in love and peace together for the Lord and for each other. But he also said the nearest thing to hell on earth is an ungodly home broken by sin and iniquity where parents bicker, quarrel, separate, and children are abandoned to the devil and to all the forces of wickedness. Now, I ask you this morning, how would you describe your marriage? Is your marriage a heaven on earth? Or would your marriage be best defined as a hell on earth? I won't go on record this morning and say that your marriage can be a heaven on earth, and it was designed and intended by God to be a heaven on earth. Can I get an amen right there? But I would also say that if your marriage has become a hell on earth, then it's very possible that one of the reasons is that your marriage has lost its romance. As I said, we're talking about home improvement, and we're looking at certain areas that we want to seek to improve in our homes and improve in our marriages. Again, last Sunday morning, we thought about improving love in a marriage. Today, I want us to think about improving romance in a marriage. Let me just remind you of a couple of things that I shared with you last Sunday. I shared with you an interesting concept from Dr. William or Willard F. Harley's book entitled, Give and Take the Secret to Marital Compatibility. And in this book, which I found very interesting, has several books, and I would encourage you to get them all and read them, and because they're, they're just they're great. They're just refreshing uh, how to read them. Now, Sherry's not read them, but believe me, she is enjoying them. Say amen right there. <laughs> but he's got he's several books that he wrote, but one I mentioned last Sunday morning is entitled Give and Take, The Secret to Marital Compatibility. And one of the interesting concepts in his books is what, book, is what he calls the love bank. And he defines how that each one of us has a love bank. And our love bank is the way that our emotions keep track of compatibility. And when we talk about the love bank, or he talks about it, he describes how that when we meet someone, an account is open in our love bank. And an account is open in their name, and it keeps track of each encounter that we have with that particular person. If there are good experiences, then deposits are made in our love bank. But if there are bad experiences, then withdrawals are made from our love bank. You see, when it comes to our marriages, as spouses, we are making either a deposit or we're making deposits and withdrawals every day of our life. You are making, a, making either a deposit or a withdrawal in the, your spouse's love bank in the account that is in your name and vice versa. For example, each time that a spouse says that I love you, a deposit is made. And each time a spouse says something like, you look pretty today, you're handsome, uh, that was good, thank you, I'm proud of you, deposits are being made in our love bank in their account. 
And every time we do something good for that or for our spouse, do something good for our mate, then a deposit is being made. But when harsh things are said, then a withdrawal is made. When our spouse is being ignored, then a withdrawal is made. When we mistreat our spouse or our mate, then a withdrawal is made. And what has happened in many marriages, there has been more withdrawals than there have been deposits. And in many marriages, the account is seriously overdrawn and seriously in the red. Now, last week, I also shared with you that Dr. Harlan, his book, defines two kinds of love in a marriage. There is what we call a caring love, and there is what we call a romantic love. Our focus last week was on a caring love. It's the kind of love that is defined in Ephesians 5.25 when the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. And we saw that he defines this caring love as when we seek to meet the needs of someone else. A caring love is not so much that you are interested in your needs being met, but a caring love is the kind of love where it is your desire and you make the effort to meet the needs of someone else, in particular, your mate. Now, that's precisely the kind of love that is referred to in Ephesians 5.25. When the Bible says, Husbands, love your wives, it uses the word love that is used of God's love for this world. And he said, Love your wives even as Christ also loved the church. We know that His love was a caring love. Everything you see Jesus doing, from coming from heaven, coming to this earth and dying on the cross, was not so much to meet his needs, but to meet our needs. He looked down and he saw a world that was in need and he took the action and he made the choice to meet the needs of all humanity. That's caring love. And when we talk about caring love in a marriage, it is a choice. It's not just a feeling. We're going to talk about that feeling today. But caring love is when you recognize my wife or my husband has certain needs. Certain needs that I am to meet as a husband, certain needs that I am to meet as a wife, and you make the choice and you put forth the effort to see that those needs are met in your spouse's life. That's what caring love is all about. That's what God commands in a marriage. Husbands, love your wives. Love your wives with a caring love. But today I want us to think about a romantic love. Romantic love is, as Dr. Harley defines, what we experience when someone meets our needs. Now, caring love is what is meeting someone else's need. It's where you make a choice, not based on how you feel. It's based on what is right. And you make the choice that you are going to meet the needs of someone else. That's caring love. But romantic love is when someone meets our needs. You might say that caring or romantic love is that incredible attraction that we have toward our spouse. They excite us. They make us happy. They create that warm, loving feeling on the inside. You know what I'm talking about? See, that romantic love is when somebody does something to you. We might say in these days they turn us on. They get us excited. And when you talk about romantic love, you're talking about that kind of love that meets a need that you have. It is that kind of love that does something for you. As I said, Dr. Hardy has written several books. One that I've referred to is Give and Take. And, uh, and he talked about last week, I mentioned another concept that he uses called love busters, and he refers to those in his book. 
But uh, really, Give and Take is a follow-up of a book that he wrote entitled Love Busters, Overcoming Habits That Destroy Romantic Love. And he writes in the book Love Busters that when a man or woman get married, they think their feelings of romantic love will last a lifetime. And the vows and the commitments they make usually depend on that assumption. But romantic love, that feeling of incredible attraction, is short-lived for most couples. Many sustain it for just a few months or years after the wedding, but for others, it's only a few days. And listen to this. And when it goes, the commitments of marriage usually go with it. It's that last sentence in that paragraph that caught my attention. And when it, talking about romantic love, when it goes, the commitments of marriage usually go with it. Now, what is Dr. Harley talking about? He's talking about basically this, that we usually build our marriages on romantic love. It's that love that brought us together. It's that attraction that we had for one another and for, for our spouse, for our mate. And it was that attraction that brought us together, that feeling, that excitement that we have from being with that individual. We usually, it brought us together, even brought us together for a lifetime to come to a wedding. And we usually build our marriages on that kind of love, what we feel. But as you know, somewhere you, those feelings kind of die down a little bit. And real marriages and strong marriages are not built on romantic love, but as we saw last Sunday, strong marriages are built on a caring love. But what happens is everything is based on how you feel. And when those feelings of romantic love begin to die, then this is the way that it's interpreted. I don't, love my, I don't love my husband anymore. I don't love my wife anymore. They get the feeling they don't love each other anymore, and the result is they end up going in different directions and go through the same cycle again in another marriage and so on and so on and so on like that. Now, because it is so vital, romantic love, and what Dr. Harley in essence is saying is that romantic love is a vital part of our marriages. And therefore, because it is a vital part, I think it'd be a wise investment of our time this morning to talk about improving romance or romantic love in our marriages. Now, look at our text. Now, I read our text a moment ago. I'm sure you, some of you theologians and Bible scholars thought, what in the world does this have to do with marriage? And I understand when you read Revelation chapter 2 that it is not talking about marriage. When you read Revelation chapter 2 and the words that we read, it is a word to a church, the church at Ephesus. And it's a word about their spiritual condition. It was a rebuke, you might say. Now, I understand that. However, I do find in the passage a formula for improving romance in our marriage. So I want you to follow me. I think you'll see what I'm talking about. Two simple things I want to set before you today, point them out from the text. And the first one is this. When I look at Revelation 2, verse 4 and 5, I see a word about the absence of romantic love. The absence of romantic love. Now, let me just make clear. I want you to clearly understand what I mean when I talk about romantic love. So when I talk about the absence of this kind of love, you'll clearly understand what I'm talking about. Again, when I talk about romantic love, I'm talking about that love that brought you and your spouse together. There was that day when you met her, saw him or whatever like that, and instantly there was this attraction. Or maybe that attraction developed over a period of time and you met this individual. But somewhere there was an attraction. You were attracted to her. He was attracted to you and whatever like that. There was this attraction to each other. 
And that attraction developed into this incredible attraction that made you want to be together every minute of your life. You wanted to do things together. You, I mean, every minute, got on the job, all you was thinking about was her in the classroom. You wasn't thinking about uh, geometry and things like that. You were thinking about her, her brown eyes, her blue eyes, her long, wavy hair, and her pearly white teeth. It was this attraction that brought you together, made you want to be together as much as possible, made you want to do things together and be together every moment. It was that attraction that made you want to spend the rest of your life together. That's what I'm talking about, that romantic life, that feeling that you have. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? My wife does say amen. <laughs> You're a good testimony, amen. I think for some of you it's been so long you done forgot what I'm talking about, amen. But that's what I'm talking about. But in many marriages, somewhere and sometime, they lost that feeling. They lost that romantic love. For example, verse 4. The Bible said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee because thou hast left thy first love. Now, here was the word of God to the church at Ephesus. His word to them was that they, were no, that they no longer had the love that they had for him at the first. He said, You have left your first love. Now, Warren Wearsman, his little commentary on Revelation, calls this first love, and his words are, a honeymoon love. And he describes it as that, as that excitement and wonder of those honeymoon days. It's that feeling that you had for one another. That, again, incredible attraction that you had for one another in your dating days, in your honeymoon days. That first love, that honeymoon love, it's what we're calling romantic love. What Jesus was saying to the church of Ephesus is that you have lost your romantic love for me. You've lost that incredible attraction that you had for me. You don't have those feelings for me like you once had. He was simply saying to the church at Ephesus, there is an absence of romantic love. Now, what was true about the church of Ephesus is true about many marriages. Many marriages, if they were absolutely honest, would have to confess that romantic love is absent in their relationship. Again, I refer to Dr. Harley in his book, Love Busters. And he writes, Romantic love feels spectacular. It inspires poets and musicians and artists and theologians and philosophers and a host of others to try to understand it, to explain it, to describe it, to experience it. He said it's just a feeling but a feeling that people are willing to do extraordinary things to achieve. And then he goes on to the next paragraph and he says, but in most marriages and in most affairs, romantic love doesn't last. Now the question is why? Why doesn't romantic love last in our marriages? Well, he gives what I find very interesting. He gives what he calls the parable of the net. And I want you to listen to this. I found this very interesting. He called it the parable of the net. Why romantic love doesn't last in a marriage? Here's the parable, the parable of the net. And listen. He says marriage is like a fishing net. Each day fishermen use their nets to catch fish and to sell them at the market. One fisherman takes his fish from the net every day, but he lets debris from the ocean accumulate. And eventually, so much debris is caught in the net that he can hardly cast the net out of the boat. And when he does, it's almost impossible to retrieve. 
Finally, in a fit of anger, he cuts the net loose and he goes home without it and he's unable to catch and sell fish again until he buys another net. Another fisherman removes debris every time he retrieves the net with the fish he caught. And each time he casts his net, it's clean and ready to catch more fish. And as a result, he catches and sells enough fish to support himself and his family. He goes on to explain that bad marriages are like the first fisherman's net. Debris is collected in the marriage that destroys romantic love in the marriage. And the problem is the debris is not removed. Good marriages are like the second fisherman. Debris is removed and kept out of the marriage, and romantic love is sustained in that marriage. Now, here's exactly what we do in our society. It is impossible to be married and not collect some debris in your net. You know that. Because right now, I know the uh, couples got some fixing to get married and some dreaming about getting married and some praying to get married and different ones. And you have the idea, listen, we're, we're, we're made for each other. I mean, we're God's gift for each other. And, and she is perfect. And, and I know I'm perfect. And you, and you got all these ideals. And you're thinking about what marriage is going to be. But then when you first get married, you begin to realize there are some major differences and there are clashes and there are misunderstandings and there's this to deal with and that to deal with. It's the debris that you cannot avoid in a marriage relationship. But what happens is... Many couples, they, the debris is collected, that which is unavoidable, but they do not clean their nests, they do not get rid of the debris, and the result is it builds up and builds up and builds up until one day the net is useless. Instead of trying to repair the net, instead of trying to clean the net, they throw the net aside and buy them a new net. Instead of really dealing with the debris that is in the net. That's what happens in many marriages. And, that's, and I think that's interesting when we talk about marriage and why it dies. The debris in the net is what destroys romantic love. He gives in the book five things that he calls love busters. And I'm going to put them on the screen, and I want you to write them down. I'm going to put all five of them up there, and I want you to write these five things down. Five love busters. This is what he deals with in the book. Five things that destroy romantic love. There are five of them. Write them down. They're on the screen. We'll put them on the screen one by one by one. You write them down. The first love buster is this, angry outburst. And he subtitles it, Who Wants to Live with a Time Bomb? What is it that will destroy romantic love in your marriage? Angry outburst. Number two, disrespectful judgments. Subtitled, Who Wants to Live with a Critic? Love buster number three, annoying behavior. Subtitled, who wants to live with a dripping faucet? Can I get an amen right there? Love buster number four, selfish demand. Subtitled, who wants to live with a dictator? And love buster number five, dishonesty. Who wants to live with a liar? Now he says these are the things that will bust love in a marriage. These are the things that will destroy love in a marriage. Now, may I, listen to be careful this morning. Now, I want to say that if romantic love is missing or absent in your marriage, it is a good indication that you've not been cleaning the debris out of your net. You have left things in that relationship and let things build up and accumulate until your feelings for one another and romantic love has been busted. You see, there is the absence of romantic love. I once came across a little thing called marital bliss. 
and it was written by a husband. He called it marital bliss. I'm not sure, not so sure it's marital, but this husband writes, my wife says she holds me responsible for most of our marital problems. Just goes to show she, how much she knows I'm never at home. She writes, I asked my wife the other day what she liked best about me, my firm, trim body or my intellect. And she said, your sense of humor, dear. <laughs> my wife is so talented, she does the best bird imitations. She watches me like a hawk. I've been married for 49 years. Where have I failed? He writes, I take my wife everywhere, but she keeps finding her way back. I asked my wife, where do you want to go for our anniversary? She said, somewhere I've never been. And I said, well, how about the kitchen? Say, hey, ma'am. <laughs> I think about something Charlie Burnett told me one time about Kathy. He said, if he's going to hide anything, he'd hide it in the stove. He knew she wouldn't find it there, amen. <laughs> exactly what he told me, amen. <laughs> this husband writes, we always hold hands. If I let go, she shops. And all my wife does is shop. Once she was sick for a week and three stores went under. She has an electric blender, electric toaster, electric bread maker. And then she said there are too many gadgets and no place to sit down. So what did I do? I bought her an electric chair. He writes, my wife and I went to the hotel where we spent our wedding night. Only this time I stayed in the bathroom and cried. I like this. He said, my wife is on a new diet. Coconuts and bananas. She hasn't lost weight, but, buddy, she can climb a tree. Amen. <laughs> and he writes, she was at the beauty shop for two hours, and that was only for the estimate. And then she got a mud pack and looked great for two days, but then the mud fell off. Well, I would say to you, he may call that marital bliss, but I think you'd agree with me, I lost the romance in that marriage. Dr. Harley writes, while it's true that divorce leads to disaster from every point of view, marriage without romantic love also leads to disaster, emotional disaster. You see, the absence of romantic love is the reason many marriages are a hell on earth and not a heaven on earth. That's the first thing. Let me give you the second thing, and I'll be through in just a moment. When I look at our text in verse 5, I see a word about the abiding of romantic love. Look at verse 5. He said in verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Now in the first verse, in verse 4, it was a word about the absence of romantic love. He said, You no longer have that honeymoon love for me. You no longer have that, you're no longer incredibly attracted to me. He said to the church at Ephesus there, You've lost your first love. Now in verse 5, he tells them that he wants them to remember how it used to be. And he wants them to remember how they used to love him with a honeymoon love. He wants them to reflect and to recall those feelings they had for him in the very beginning. And once he tells them to remember, then he says to them, get back to doing the first works. He's telling them to get back to doing the things that made them have such an intense love for him and cause a, such incredible attraction for him. He said, I want you to get back and do those things that was one of the reasons why you had this honeymoon love and this romantic love in your relationships. Now listen to me carefully this morning. The formula that Jesus or the instructions Jesus gave for the church at Ephesus provides for us a wonderful formula for restoring romantic love in a marriage and seeing to it that romantic love is sustained in your marriage. He tells us we need to remember. 
And it may be this morning your marriage has lost that feeling. You've lost that incredible attraction for your mate. And we, what, what we need to do is to remember what it was like and to realize that that kind of attraction can exist in your marriage again. Dr. Harley writes, when you're in love, it seems impossible that you'll ever lose that feeling. But when you're out of love, it seems impossible to get it back. And he writes, most couples I counsel don't believe they will ever feel that love for each other again. I want you to listen to me. I want to say, and he goes on to say it in his book, that yes, you can have that feeling of love again in your marriage. How? Just do what Jesus said. Jesus said, do the first works. He said, I want you to get back to doing what you did in the beginning that kept the fires of romantic love burning. He said, I want you to go back and remember how it was, and I want you to go back and remember what you did. Now, what am I saying this morning? I would say the way to keep romantic love burning in your marriage is to do the very things that created romantic love in the first place. I would say, go back and remember or start and do again and begin to learn how to talk to each other, to spend time with each other, to go to places together, to do things together, to show affection to one another, to do things for one another, to meet one another's emotional needs and to meet one another's physical needs. If I can just put it this way, are you listening to me this morning? Four of you are. I want the rest of you to join me now. Are you listening to me? Can I say what some of you need to do is, is just go out on a date. Go out on a date. Have fun. Hold hands. Smooch a little bit. What you, some of you fellas I'll do this week is get your wife, take her down to the Walnut Street Bridge just as the moon is setting. Amen. <laughs> and throw your arms around her. Pull her up tight. And lay one of those Al Gore Democratic Convention kisses on her. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I don't know that Al Gore make a good president, but he can sure lay one on his wife, can't he? Amen. <laughs> Look at Genesis 26 and verse 8. I love this verse. <laughs> this, is a, this is a great verse. Look at Genesis 26 and notice verse 8. Take your Bible. I want you to look at this. The Bible said in Genesis 26, 8, and there's a statement there I want you to get. And it came to pass that when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw, and behold, Isaac. Now look at this. This is a great statement. Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. Now, you see that word sporting there? It means to caress. It literally means to play with. Now, you know the background. Abimelech, Isaac had told Abimelech that Rebekah, his wife, was his sister. But Abimelech walks to the window one day, and he looks down there, and Isaac's got his hands all over his Rebekah. And he knows right then that they're not brother and sister. He saw them fooling around. And he knew it was different. Now, what I'm saying to you today, some of you need to start sporting again. Can I get an amen there? Can I get an amen there? Do a little sport. 
I read about this Kansas cyclone that hit this farmhouse just before dawn. It lifted off the roof, picked up the bed which the farmer and the wife were sleeping, and carried them clean over into the next county before it set them down. And when the bed hit the ground, the wife began to cry, and the husband said, Mary, don't be scared. We're not hurt. And Mary said through her sobs, I'm not scared. I'm happy. And he said, what in the world are you happy about? And she said, this is the first time in 14 years we've been out together. <laughs> it's been so long since, it, since some of you have done things together and done something romantic together. It's no wonder the most exciting thing in your life is watching Wheel of Fortune. It is it's no wonder. <laughs> if some of you started doing romantic things for your spouse, it'd probably be like another couple I read about over breakfast, a woman said to her husband, said, I bet you don't know what today is. He snapped back like he was offended. He said, yes, I do know what today is. And he went off to work. At 10 o'clock, a dozen red roses arrived at the house. At 1 o'clock, a two-pound box of chocolates was delivered. At 3 o'clock, a designer dress arrived. And when the husband came home, the, his wife ran to meet him and said, Oh, darling, I've never had a more wonderful Groundhog Day in my life. <laughs> Now, you don't want to be like this woman that accompanied her husband to the doctor's office. And after his checkup, the doctor called the wife into the office and spoke to her along and said, Look, if you don't do the following, your husband is going to die. And he outlined it. One, each morning, fix him a healthy, low-fat breakfast. Two, be pleasant and make sure that he's in a good mood. Three, for lunch... Make him a nutritious meal. Four, for dinner, prepare him an especially nice meal. Five, don't burden him with chores as he's probably had a hard day. Six, don't discuss your problems with him. And number seven, and most importantly, make sure you are completely satisfying, satisfying his every whim. Well, on the way home, the husband said to her, what did the doctor say to you? And she said, he said, you're going to die. <laughs> well, what I'm saying to you is that there are reasons that you were so attracted to each other. And there were th things that led to that attraction and made that attraction even greater. Maybe it was a physical appearance in the beginning. As you know, that changes. But there were different things through the... Once you were attracted, then you began doing this and you began doing that and it just developed that attraction, developed those feelings that you had for one another. I want to say to you, Jesus said to the church of Ephesus, go back and do what you did in the beginning. And I want to say to you, what you need to do is stop and think, what was it that made us love each other so much in the beginning? What was it that made our relationship so exciting? What was it that we did together in the early days when we were dating and when we first got married that made us want to be with each other every moment, that made me just feel that this was the greatest thing in the world and this is the greatest person in the world. Think back and remember what is it that you did? What is it that made life good? And Jesus kept telling the church and the formula we draw from it is, is to go back and do those things again. Enjoy life. Enjoy your mate. Enjoy the marriage that God has given you.
Get your paper out and let me give you some homework assignments. All right, class, I'm your teacher. Now, these are your assignments for the week. I want you to write them down. I'm going to put them on the screen. Are you ready? Here's what I want you to do this week. Number one, I want you to spend some special time together this week. Go out and play horseshoes. I mean, do something special. <laughs> Take your wife fishing. You know, you'll do something special. No, you know what I'm talking about. I want you to spend some special time together. I want you to do something together that, too, that both of you really enjoy. I want you, for both of you, go out and do something that you both really enjoy. I'm, when I talk about going fishing, that would be what the husband would want, but maybe the wife don't enjoy going fishing. And wives, husbands don't enjoy looking in store windows either, so do something that you both enjoy. <laughs> Say Amen. Number three, I want you to go out on a date, a romantic date with one another. We do that this week. I don't care what you got to do. I want you, we're talking about improving our homes. And fourthly, I want you to do a little sport. Isn't that good? If some of you do what I'd say, I'd become the most beloved preacher you ever had. Do a little sport. Let's stand our feet. You 